Welcome to the American Reformer Podcast, promoting a vigorous Christian approach to the cultural challenges of our day and rooted in the rich tradition of Protestant social and political thought. Hosted by Josh Abitoy and Ben Dunson. Okay, welcome back everyone to the American Reformer Podcast. Um, I'm flying solo this week as the host, uh, Executive Director Josh Abitoy and our founding father, Ben Dunson, are both in the wind, no doubt doing something to uh, something interesting to further the sacred cause of liberty and American reformers' interests. Um, but I didn't want to uh, spend the podcast doing dramatic readings from Blackstone's commentaries or something, so I did invite on a guest. I have Ben Zeisloff with me. Um, ben is the current editor-in-chief of The Sentinel. Um, ben, thanks for coming on. Thanks. Great to be here. And we wanted to talk a little bit today about some of your recent reporting um, on a story that definitely people who are online and we're on Twitter, certainly Christian Twitter, um, are going to be aware of. But before that, can you just give me a uh, you know brief bio? How did you get to the, the position you're in right now? Uh, when did that start? Absolutely. Uh, I'm Ben Zeisloft. I... I'm the editor-in-chief of the Republic Sentinel, which we just called the Sentinel. Um, I resigned from my position at the Daily Wire uh, a few months ago to star in this new project. So we are a news and commentary media outlet um, that is conservative in nature and, and owned and operated by Christians. So we're covering American politics, business, culture, and so forth. Um, not from a Christian perspective, but through that, that lens, that worldview, um, that's going to come out from time to time. Mm-hmm. And um, how long has the, the Sentinel been around for those that might be unaware? Just a few months. So we're brand new. Yeah. Okay. Very good. And um, it's just, what is it, What is the website? So if one can find that and find your reporting. Yep. You can find us at republicsentinel.com. Um, and we're on Twitter as Repub Sentinel. Okay. Very good. Um, so I wanted to have you on to, you, you were the first um, outlet that I saw um, to, to cover this incident uh, up in Wisconsin uh, that happened about a week ago, I did. I saw people tweeting the videos um, and making comments, and um, really, uh, shockingly, for Twitter, at least for the first several hours, there was no indication that any anyone on Twitter, you know, knew really who these guys were or what the the details of the event were. So your your reporting was most welcome, and of course, I'm referring to the two. Uh, two young guys that were, um, according to the video that, that you can see, get a, arrested in a what looks like a public forum, a public park. You can you can tell us whether that's true or not. Um, get arrested for standing on sort of the corner on the sidewalk, preaching the, the gospel, not saying anything, um, you know, legitimately or objectively offensive. Um, they don't even seem to be very loud. They have a small sort of a speaker with them and a microphone and off in the distance um, to the side is uh, there was a drag queen kind of event uh, with with children there. Um, not sure if it's exactly classified as a drag queen story hour, but some kind of drag queen event. And uh, these two two guys are, are arrested or accosted by the cops. And uh, the, of course, their preaching um, is stopped. And there are actually two videos. So the first one, the guy's preaching. The other one, the guy seems to be closer to the event and kind of going going around talking to people and trying to share the gospel and and tracks and he also uh, ran into some trouble with the police. So give it, give us details or correct any of those details that are that appear from the video to be to be incorrect. 
Yeah, certainly. So as, as you said, uh, people who are on Twitter, on social media, um, I think it even hit Facebook and TikTok and so forth. But uh, there is footage of this young man who was reading from the Bible on his smartphone with a small uh, noise amp device, as you said, in a public park um, a, few a few dozen yards away from this drag queen event. Uh, and I think there was both a story hour and an actual performance. We, we got video of, you know, the, the drag queen dancing sexually for children. There's also footage of them reading to children uh, explicit books. Uh, so in the, in this video, this first video that went viral, this young man is, as soon as he starts reading, he picks up his mic and he, and he says, hear the word of the Lord. And I, probably 10 cops surround him and they rip the microphone out of his hand. He says, what are you doing? What's going on? And seems surprised. And they put him in handcuffs and, and lead him away. Um, so that young man was Marcus Schrader. Uh, he lives in Wisconsin. He's 19 years old. Um, and he was there with a handful of uh, other young people uh, from his church, uh, Mercy Seat Christian Church in Brookfield, Wisconsin. And they were there just to share the gospel, preach, uh, be a public witness against uh, drag queen performances for little children, drag queen story hour. Um, and in, with respect to the legal issues at hand, uh, from my understanding, they did not give him in particular a warning. Uh, we just interviewed him today, actually, uh, at republicsensible.com. So you can see that full interview that uh, our co-founders did with him. But he gives the play-by-play -play there and basically explains that there is no procedure in which they actually warned him, hey, you need to turn that down. It was just arrest on the spot. Um, and it, it's from what I've seen uh, from the noise ordinances, I don't think he was violating any laws, but I think they'll, we'll, we'll see that uh, soon with respect to the legal case. Uh, but it is telling that these police were there to protect the drag queens and to make sure the Christians had the, the book thrown at them right away. Um, and yeah, absolutely. So um yeah, all, all, all the, this is shocking. Yeah. Yeah, it, see, it seemed from the video, too. I mean, again, it, it didn't seem that he was um, being particularly loud or disruptive such that the other event couldn't take place. Um, right. He's not, you know, uh, doing doing like you often see leftist protesters do where the entire point is to disrupt the event and create chaos and really to get arrested to create a spectacle. Right. And it's not really about any kind of message. Um, he seemed to be standing there, you know, utilizing the public forum in the same way that his, his counterparts would be. And of course, you know, any kind of public forum area, public parks like this, you know, there can be reasonable restrictions according to time, place and manner of demonstrations or, you know, expression uh, in those in those places. And, and presumably noise ordinances, you know, will apply to that. And I, it, it seems like that's what they're trying to peg him with. Of course, it's going to be, you know, subjective and application um, and that and that sort of thing. But is that um, do you have any indication of what the actual charges would be at this point or if he's getting fined or cited? Yeah, so he's charged with noise, unlawful use of noise, amplification, and resisting arrest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so he told us that um, he was surprised at first that he was even getting arrested. He didn't expect to be arrested. Uh, so the cops approached him. They twisted his hand behind his back, um, and his muscles tensed up. So at first, before he realized what was going on, he was resisting just as a natural uh, physical response to what they were doing to him. Um, but then you can see that he didn't. He wasn't resisting as they walked him away once he was in cuffs and he realized what was going on. So that charge it definitely seems bogus. Uh, but those are his two charges: uh, noise amplification and resisting arrest. Okay. Um, is there? So, so this this guy. I mean, I think I had heard that this is um, actually something him and his group or his church do regularly or have done uh, in the past. This is not like a a new thing. They frequently go to parks when these sorts of events are taking place to. Um, you know, try to share the gospel with people there. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. So this was not, you know, some anomaly that presumably the local police would be unaware of. 
Right. And the way he described it is most of the police, there are a lot of police there, actually, uh, several dozen, maybe even over a hundred. Um, but the way he described it is most of the police were, were trying to be neutral. They knew they were there to make sure the event could happen, but they weren't trying to pick sides. Um, but according to him and, and another guy I talked to, uh, there were a few police who were very zealous to shut them down and, and in his words, to be jerks to them. Uh, and I think you see that in the video to some extent. And I, I gather that they weren't applying the same sort of pressure uh, to, to the drag queen event because that is, that's, was sort of their stated purpose for being in the park. Yeah, that's correct. And you can actually see in, in Wisconsin law, uh, there are statutes that explicitly forbid adults from uh, showing minors uh, or those who can be reasonably expected to be minors uh, sexually explicit conduct. Of course. And, and that's yeah. a severe, as, as you would expect, that's a severe penalty in the state of Wisconsin. So there's certainly the element of selective enforcement of the law. Um, and and uh, Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers did come out later and, and uh, you know, back the drag queen event because there was some other controversy surrounding it as well. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, all states, uh, to some degree, whether they're enforced or not, have just general obscenity laws, uh, which certainly could apply to drag queen style activity that we see, you know, videos of. Um, and then and then most states also, if not all, have, you know, some kind of protection specifically for minors like you're talking about. Um, there's even even federal guidance um, and uh, and statutes according to, you know, distribution of sort of such content across state lines and that sort of thing. So very well recognized, whereas you're, you're not going to find. Um, any any kind of restrictions in the same way that you know specifically targeting the um, you know there's there's no law saying you can't expose minors to uh, to the gospel of Jesus Christ or something um, so that's it's not, not yet at least not yet at least right right so maybe I mean that is um, you know it's it's a sh shocking image that I think that's why it was going viral on Twitter to see uh, we, you know it seemed like a a nice young young guy doing something pretty innocuous by our standards of course. Um, and, and also didn't appear to be hostile in any way. To, you know, this was not Westboro Baptist style protesting, um, you know, that's, that can be, you know, considered counterproductive or uh, distasteful or something. He seemed to be doing, um, you know, something very, very normal, especially from the historical perspective. Um, was there was there any other issues? I did see another video where an, another guy that seemed to be affiliated with with him was uh, was also running into some issues with the uh, the authorities there. Yeah, so there was another young man I interviewed. Uh, his name is Nick Prohl, um, and he was also I believe he was detained in, and told he was arrested something that something to that effect. And and Nick also told me that another member of their church, um, uh, I, I believe, uh, she received a fine because she was carrying a sign uh, that denounced sexual sin. I, I didn't see the sign, but. Uh, that's what I was told by him. But so there's there's other members of their church of their of their group uh, that are facing some legal pressure over this. Hmm. And the, and so the, I mean, this is a kind of a, you know, we've all been in in towns or cities where there's public demonstrations or public events. I I don't recall being at one where, um, you know, there's there's dozens or hundreds of cops just there as a matter of course. Is this a a standard practice around these drag queens events, uh, drag queen events in these in this particular town? because they've had issues or were they expecting um, to have issues? It just seems like they were, you know, sort of a pre-planned um, scenario of escalation. Yeah, not that I'm aware of. Um, so so I know that there are a handful of groups that were there up from a, a, a vast array of ideological standpoints. So there was the Christians who were there. There's also Gays Against Groomers Wisconsin. So that's a group that says homosexuality, good, transgenderism, bad, essentially. Right. Uh, they had they had a group of, uh, I guess, secular protesters. So this, this got some good coverage even leading into the event. 
Um, Marcus told me that he's been at, at nearly every Pride affiliated event for the past six months in that part of Wisconsin. At, or, or if he hasn't been there, other members of his church has been there. Uh, so, so they do get this sort of pushback uh, consistently from the Christian standpoint, people trying to share the gospel and, and of course, call people out of sexual sin and, and that lifestyle. Hmm. And and so, um, you know, these two two young guys, I mean, they're, you know, pre- presumably or I've not seen seen anything to indicate they have had run ins with the, the law before, as it were, or, you know, or some kind of known provocateurs um, or exactly, anything yeah. like that. They seem to be regular. I mean, are they both just just students of some sort or what's their what's their background? What's their day job when they're not you know doing showing up to these events? Yeah. So like I said, Mar- Marcus is only 19 years old. Um, so he he's I'm not sure if he's in college or not, but I know that he's fairly recently in, in high school. I actually know a guy um, who went who I was I went to Penn with who, who was friends with him in high school. Um, but so he's he's 19 years old. This is his first arrest. He's never had a run in with a law like this before. Yeah. So what what has been the the reaction to to your reporting um, on, on the issue, or maybe to the issue generally, as far as you've you've tracked it and can see? Yeah, there's there's certainly a lot of uh, righteous anger. Um, I think people see the unequal weights and measures being employed by the by the police in Wisconsin, um, because of course there's there's Christians who are trying to stand against the sexualization of children, against uh, homosexual men gyrating in front of little children who are brought there by their own parents and, and the law is doing nothing about that but making sure that they uh throw the book at the christians uh there's been other other events like this over the past few years as we all know um there's the two men up in canada there's james coates and um uh tim stevens uh pastors who opened their churches and during covid uh and and had the full force of law thrown at them they each spent about a month in a high security prison uh here in the united states of course there's gabe wrench in in idaho who was at a public psalm sing a few years ago um, and was was carried off by the cops as well because they're violating uh, COVID mandates. So this is this is certainly a trend in the Western world and increasingly so in the United States, where especially in blue states, blue cities, where the power of the law is, is firmly in hand of, of the Democrats, you're going to see a lot of this crackdown against Christians, uh, unequal ways and measures um, not being treated fairly. Yeah, and it does it does recall the, you know, when I saw the videos, I thought of, uh, you know, going back to whatever it was, 2018 or 2019, when you now have the the infamous, infamous I suppose, debate between Sora Bamari and David French, you know, over Drag Queen Story Hour. This is kind of what started it all in many ways uh, for certain tr- intellectual trends on the right. And, you know, French specifically appeals to public forum doctrine as um, as to why you should not outlaw um, at, the, at that time, I think they're focused on the, the library events, but it, of course, the entire array of them, it, it applies to those as well, anything public, um, and saying, you know, that this would be disastrous to um, pick and choose sort of who you're going to allow to speak or demonstrate, regardless of the relative obscenity of, of the content or how objectionable it was. Um, so f- sort of free speech maximalist view. And of course, Amari pushes back and a, and a lot of this. Um, in later days, you know, have pushed back against that sort of, uh, they want to, you know, they can call it classical liberal, whatever outlook, um, as, as if you can't discriminate between the content of, of speech and what's, what's good and what's bad and have reasonable limitations upon those. And so this is such a contrast to that, um, or, or really such a, such a blow to that sort of view of, we have the, the exact opposite. In, in this case, literally, um, you know, I, I assume David French would also say that he d- doesn't support shutting down the preaching of the gospel either. 
um, but it sh it sort of sort of illustrates the realist um, perspective on these things. Of they, you know, the the left is not bashful about um, disproportionate enforcement against their public and political enemies, ideological enemies, whereas the right, you know, will defend their right to do so um, all day long. And so, you know, I do think it's, I agree with you, these, these will probably become more frequent occurrences. Um, and hopefully they, they do serve, you know, to, to wake some people up as to, as to how even our authorities um, are, are disproportionately favoring one uh, established religion over the other. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely right. Uh, so there's another viral clip of Marcus uh, speaking to the Watertown Common Council a few days after his arrest. Um, and he made the point during that speech, uh, which also went viral on Twitter, um, that there there are standards. There there's some you know there's a, there are notions of tolerance and intolerance in every society. No society tolerates everything because there's there'd be no social order. Um, and he made the point that as we become less tolerant of Christian morality, we're going to become more tolerant of sexual immorality. Uh, and, and that's clearly demonstrated by, you know, the law is fine with um, drag queens dancing in front of children, uh, twerking in front of children, sexualizing children. Uh, so I think you're absolutely right. On the right, there has to be recognition that there is certain there are certain standards that that ought not to be crossed. There, there's room for a difference and, and disagreement and so forth. But, uh, yeah, grown men, homosexual men dancing in front of children it is not anything that any coherent society can stand for long. Yeah. And, the, you know, this used to be very easily recognized by um, probably Americans generally of any stripe, but certainly uh, conservative ones. And, and there was no real problem with it. Um, you know, I'm, I'm shocked sometimes to talk to uh, certain Christians of, shall we say, a particular political outlook um, that is that is very hands off and, and very uh, libertarian. You know, even even say, at least in principle, that there's nothing wrong with you know displaying public pornography or something like that. Um, and I just wonder what, you know, what they think um, the sustainability or the half-life of a society that does that uh, would be. But we're, we certainly have aspects where we are uh, inching closer to that, that sort of thing. I mean, it is, it is obscene by any measure, um, by any legal measure that would have been previously applied in the past very, very freely. Um, and it is, it does, you know, this is probably what is waking up a lot of people is the the application of these things towards children, you know, may, we can call them inconsistent if we want and say, you know, the, the LGB and T can't be uh, detached, but it, there is um, something heartening about the fact that at least there's an, an intuition in many people that still has an, it, they still have an instinct to protect children from these sorts of things. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. This, the standard is going to have to, as we become more and more insane culturally with respect to the judgment being poured out upon us just by our own depravity, uh, that recognition is going to have to continue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so again, have you gotten, um, you know, your, your reporting was sort of first on the ground, at least that I saw. Um, yep. Have you gotten feedback from, from Christians that have, um, you know, maybe even those that are not on Twitter that are um, less plugged in to see the vir the virality of these things as, in, in real time, um, you know, that this, this story is it, is it gaining traction? Is it impacting um, you know people that are that are coming to contact with it? Yeah. So this so as you said, this is this is the first probably big break that Republic Sentinel has had, which is really exciting. Uh, so we were picked up by Fox and Newsweek and some other outlets who are uh, quoting from our interviews with with Marcus and with Nick. Um, the general reaction from Christian, like I said, has been 
you know, uh, it's, I guess clearly seeing that that divide between the unequal application of the law. But there are some, and, and shall we say, who are more afraid of this, you know, who are made kind of squeamish by the idea of picking up a Bible and, and a microphone and preaching, just not even not even opining or, or exegeting the text, but just reading the text um, to a group of people who are in rebellion against God and, and are, are dead in their sins and need the gospel. Uh, I did see that reaction uh, mm-hmm. from some folks where they were they were made uneasy by the idea that somebody would actually go out in public and and speak in the public square in favor of Christianity. After all, it was a public park, so there was an area where these folks were allowed to be. Um, so that that's that's certainly a disheartening reaction in, in my in my estimation. Um, I think, as like you said earlier, uh, there's a historical precedent for something like street preaching or or a public uh, call to repentance for for society or, or, or a culture. Um, and you can see that across the Bible as well. Uh, think of the ministry of Jonah, all the prophets of, of Jesus and the apostles and uh, Paul in, on, Mars, on Mars Hill and so forth. But um, there's, there's a tendency within um, the evangelical movement in the United States to to want to be winsman nuance, as, as is often said. Um, and for whatever reason, that, that standard is, is cut somewhere before, um, even, even just in love, not, not screaming at people, not calling them names, but just reading the Bible and, and preaching the gospel. Uh, the line for for whatever reason comes before that, right? So that's that's considered um, antisocial behavior, even in, even in Christian circles, even in you know big Eva elite circles as well. Yeah, it's it strikes me, you know, what does it say about our self confidence as as uh, Christians when um, you know I do think this even with Christians, like you're saying, this particular issue um, it has a sort of feel of off limits to it. So you know. There would probably be less discomfort with, um, you know, street preaching for no particular reason. You're just, I mean, you can see um, people of all, all kinds of, you know, you see the, the black Hebrew Israelites will be down, you know, in Philadelphia, um, just preaching on the street corner, doing stuff um, directed basically at anyone coming by. It's not, a, and, and the same thing with Christian preachers. That all seems to be sort of um, accepted or ignored, but when it's specifically directed at, you know the the sort of pet sins of the the cosmopolitan elite, which are the the sexual those of sexual deviance, um, yep. that all of a sudden everyone starts getting a lot more uncomfortable, as if you're not supposed to you know disrupt the flow uh, of the sexual revolution um, in that regard. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, I, I don't think people are as upset. I mean, I, you know, I, so I recently graduated from the University of Pennsylvania, and there was always a there was always a firestorm when. Um, Anybody would preach, whether it was hate preachers with massive signs or, or just a, a normal Christian trying to do right before the Lord. But there is there is a particular discomfort um, when specific sins are called out. And I think that's just part of our nature as human beings. Um, as you said, those are the sins du jour is sexual mm-hmm. morality and um, LGBT, all those things. Uh, so there's a there's an special uh, there's a special degree of squeamishness when those come up. Um, but I think Christians ought to be bold, and, and that's exactly where we need to be pre- pressing the hardest. Um, there's a famous quote from C.S. Lewis where he, he speaks about uh, carrying around fire extinguishers when there are floods. So being right. uh, very zealous to oppose the sins that are still there because, you know, sins don't really pass away from uh, humans entirely at any point. But uh, being, being zealous against the sins that are less severe or less out and, and societally endorsed and pushed on the population uh, than those that are, right? So that's mm-hmm. that's where you get to J.D. Greer saying, uh, the Bible whispers about sexual sin. Uh, no, it does not. If you look at every vice list that, <laughs> that the Apostle Paul has in the New Testament, sexual immorality is usually the first one on that list. Um, we know how destructive uh, those things can be, 
to an individual's life, right? Even even as uh, something as, as I say simple, right? Because it's so common now. Uh, something like pornography up to um, the homosexual lifestyle, uh, mutilating your own body through transgenderism. Um, and, and as we see, that also has societal ramifications where you can't have a, a cohesive functioning society when these things are endorsed. Uh, and these are the things that Christians, if we actually love our neighbors, need to be most zealous in, in calling out with, you know, of course, with love uh, and with a, a genuine care uh, for the people who are our neighbors and, and, and need to hear the truth. Um, but also uh, not backing down and, and speaking the actual truth and the full truth. Yeah. Yeah. Does, especially those, you know, those sins or, or um, you know, it's, it's really an array of sins. It's all apparatus that, that um, I think transgenderism just is is highlighting the, the underlying logic of all of them but it really is a revolt against nature in the in the purest sense and a, a wish to destroy it um and so it is detrimental to any any well-ordered polity um you know to to sort of strike at the at the root of the uh, not just the family but even the individual um and and wish to corrupt it and destroy it and subvert it um and even mock it and you see that with all the sort of you know alternative family structures that go along with this to to facilitate it too um you know, I think that, again, there, it is a um, it's not just the disproportional treatment from from the authorities, um, but but it is, you know, all of us have been somewhat conditioned to even even accept this to some extent of where, you know, in a scenario a hypothetical, if, if these people had just been in the park preaching against, uh, you know, racism that I mean, yeah unless they were via, you know, so loud that no one else could hear what was going on in their, their other events. You know, I imagine it would have been treated very differently than if you're, you know, confronting the the, the sin that's literally on display right right in front of you and is now, um, as you said, the you know a favored sort of pet sin um, of a broader society or is accepted even celebrated, you know, even by by Bud Light or something. Um, so it it certainly is, um, you know, there where when you're in free speech doctrine with public forum, you know, you're not supposed to make content based uh, restrictions or judgments within uh, within reason. And what we could say is underlying this entire performance, um, this entire uh, you know situation is in the background, a societal sort of collective content based uh, decision as to what what type of speech will be favored and what kind will not be. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I, I, see, I see the same thing with feminism, where you can't you can't question certain certain dogmas of of our culture because of the feminist influence has been with us for the past century or so. Um, There's a great uh, sermon clip from Vody Balcom a few months ago where he was discussing uh, this phenomenon where he was saying uh, pastors will get up to the pulpit and they'll apologize for ten minutes before they preach about homosexuality. Right. Um, and he said, "Well, would, would they do this? Would they say, you know, I have so many pedophile friends, um, I have so many, you know." <laughs> Uh, that I, that I love that I love and cherish, and I don't want to. I want to let you know that you're loved. And and no, the the answer from from the pulpit ought to be, you know, like, hey, this is this is a sin that the Bible says is destructive to you and to everyone around you. Um, just like many many other sins are, uh, this is not a special class of sin per se, uh, although it is a sin against nature. Uh, and then just preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, repentance and salvation in Him. Um, but there's as long as Christians have the are, are still drinking this cultural water. Uh, and, and of course, to some extent, we're all blind to it, uh, whether it's sexual issues or feminism or, or some other broader assumption that we carry in uh, the 21st century in America. Uh, the more we do that, the more disconnected we are from history on these matters as well is something I've found in um, my Christian life is, is reading old books is a good way to, <laughs> to get away from this. That's right. Um, 
Yeah, but the more we're blind to our own uh, cultural biases, the quicker uh, or the less effective rather we'll be in, in witnessing to our neighbors. Yeah, and that, that is, you know, um, it's obviously not the same, you know, <laughs> the spirit doesn't move through uh, old books the same way he does through uh, through God's word, but it is um, a sort of mooring act or a, you know, it can it can steal you a bit and provide a, a thicker perspective on on these things, especially with public life to to read, you know, not just the historical record, but older books that deal with uh, similar things. I mean, if, so if you just review, you know, the, the record not from that long ago in our own country of how these sorts of things were dealt with, um, yeah. it's it can be shocking and it should be shocking that it is shocking, um, but also demonstrates that we, uh, you know, it's not foreign to our our. Uh, you know, country to, to, to treat these things pretty forcefully um, and unapologetically. And so, you know, and, and sort of uh, exhort our leaders to do that and to continue to preach that message as, as well. Um, but I, I do think it's, um, it's, it's more difficult than that, like you said, because what we're dealing with is not just a policy issue, but a, but a sin issue. And so the, those things are going to be guarded uh, more rigorously and, and more violently even um, as they're called out. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking as as you say that of um, when Utah applied for statehood and, and Congress didn't let them because of polygamy, right? Right, and right. and of course polygamy for whatever reason we haven't gotten there yet in our in our uh, I guess endless slide into into the pit of hell with respect to sexual sin. But it is it is noteworthy that there is that a state could not enter the union because of their sexual practices. Yeah. Now a state like California that's that's overrun with with LGBT would Congress deny them statehood today because of that phenomenon? I don't think so. Uh, so it really was not that long ago that there was at least a cultural awareness of like there there are there are certain sexual behaviors that are healthy and good and there are certain ones that are not not to be rejected by by ordered society and of course that's because of the Christian influence and as we lose that we lose our moorings right yeah it, it's always uh, funny to me that the you know the case the Reynolds case from 1876 um, which was dealing with the the federal bigam anti bigamy act as applied to Utah and the and the the appellants there were. Or questioning its uh, or challenging its um, validity validity under the the First Amendment, and um, you know it's the first case that mentions Jefferson's Wall of Separation um, in sort of dicta, but it goes on to the appellants lose, so the, the the federal law is upheld, and Justice Waite there you know goes on sort of a long diatribe of of we could sum it up as um, actually yes the state has a, a real and justifiable interest in exactly what you're doing in your bedroom. That could be like how it's summed up, which is, uh, you know, to, to people today, the two things we can question whether, you know, the validity of, of Jefferson's uh, metaphor for sure um, and whether it should have been inserted that way, especially in that particular case. But the point is that there is um, even in the, the late 19th century, there was still this sense of you can defend the you know some form of separation between uh, church and state. And that does not mean that we can't uh, dictate sexual morality uh, for sure. So it, in that, those two things seem to be contrary, uh, contraries at this point, I think, in most people's pathologies, uh, operative pathologies. Um, so I'm always reminded of that. And, and then, you know, we really do, I guess, sort of have uh, polygamy back in play. It's just a it's just a liberal form. So, you know, you have Springfield, Massachusetts, mm -hmm. I think, just a, a year ago or so uh, being the first municipality to, to legalize polyamory to officially right. you know endorse it as effectively but to recognize it as a real thing that's protected um so we do have you know essentially functionally polygamy but it is always interesting to me that the uh you know the the mormons were never 
and have never been really successful um, in, in getting that back in any legal battles. And it continues to be um, societally stigmatized, um, even as even grosser forms of, of sexual deviance are celebrated. And I always wonder if it's because, you know, on a layman's perspective in a sort of secularized country like ours, or as it's, it's going, that Mormons are basically put in the, in the Christian class, right? They're, they're considered mm-hmm. probably by most people to be something like evangelicals. Um, and so it's unacceptable for, and they're, they're of course arguing some kind of biblical basis for it as well. And so it's really about the arguments that are put forward for sexual deviance and then the, the people or the class of people that are, uh, you know, appealing for them to be accepted. Um, that is the real problem, not really the deviance. Yeah, exactly. And it, no, that's a great point as well. Um, with respect to, you know, the state does at least historically have some, have something to say about what goes on in, in somebody's bedroom. Certainly we would all agree that if, if a, a father is taking his daughter into the bedroom and doing things, his minor daughter, right. um, and doing things that are not, you know, pr- that are not permissible, that everybody, hopefully everybody across the societal spectrum, whether Christian or, or generally Democrat or, or left wing would have something to say about that. Um, now I think the, the question is what standard do we apply? And I think that's mm-hmm. where you see a lot of uh, folks like David French getting squeamish and, and, and uncomfortable is when we start to say like, yes, uh, the, the biblical worldview, the Bible has something to say about what people should do in, in their own bedrooms. And uh, it's sort of the, the libertarian non-aggression principle mm-hmm. um, where, you know, if, if you don't, if it's two consenting adults, right, that's, that's a standard on the left. And then even more, uh, you see it as well come up in Christian circles. That's um, as long as it's two people who agree to the act, it's, it's morally permissible. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's the standard that uh, the Bible or Christian history would give us. Right. It's certainly, it's certainly not even close to a sufficient standard. I mean, we would, you know, it doesn't mean that, uh, um, that isn't a, a, barrier or a definition in, in some ways of, of rape or, you know, con- contributes to the definition of that. But we certainly don't think it's a sufficient sexual ethic to govern all relationships. Yeah. And, you know, usually these kinds of comments we're making now are poo-pooed as being, um, you know, slightly ridiculous or alarmist. But you do see moves already on the left um, to, you know, start challenging the, the established age of consent. Um, and even uh, California has lessened the punishment of, you know, a statutory rape at this point and these sorts of moves. So it's not going to be too long before that that age starts getting whittled down um, to where, you know, consenting people, not consenting adults um, is acceptable. And, you know, as we continue to sexualize children, that only becomes um, easier. And so the drag queen stuff really does facilitate um, that drift um, that slouching towards Gomorrah, if you like, um, that is that is coming into play and will will confront people, I think, in, in shorter order than most people predict. Yeah, I've heard the point made that uh, every pre-Christian civilization has had pedophilia. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost universal across mankind. And only, again, with the Christian worldview and that influence has it been uh, jettisoned. But the barrier to entry because of that reason for pedophilia is much lower than it would be for, for example, the the surgical mutilation of your body, saying mm-hmm. that you can become uh, changed from man to woman or changed from woman to man. Um, there's there's a lot more uh, history and instinct that would lead toward something like pedophilia than there would even some of the other forms of just insane sexual perversion we see today. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's it's not a stretch at all to say that the slippery slope is real, um, and that you know, the, the plus in LGBT, right. Uh, is, is something we're going to continue to see, uh, as time goes on. Yeah. 
almost by definition. Uh, so, um, so you've you've written a piece for us that's connected to this. I mean, really, I wanted to plug it a second ago. We were talking about the feminization of the pulpit, um, a la Bodhi Bakum, um, you know, standing athwart that. But you've written a piece for us at American Reformer called "Which Way Christian Man," and you 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 set it up. It is connecting to what we've already been talking about with Marcus Schroeder, um, but it's you set it up as a contrast between Andy Wood. And um, his wife, uh, Stacy, right, who have now been um, the, the kingmaker. Um, Rick Warren has, has designated them the, the pastors, um, to use the term loosely, of Saddleback. And they had also a viral video um, almost around the same time um, over the past several days uh, that you contrast with what was going on up in Wisconsin. Right. So I wrote I wrote this article as a contrast between uh, which 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 kind of Christianity do uh, young men like myself and, and just uh, Christians in general in the Western world want to embrace? Which one is going to bring us forward into the future, maintaining our convictions and uh, continuing to confess the, the gospel and the core of the Christian faith? Uh, so, yeah. Um, so the article that uh, excuse me, the video that you referred to with um, uh, Andy Wood going viral was um, during his at the movies series at Saddleback Church. Uh, so right now, Saddleback and many other megachurches across the country, like Life Church in Colorado, uh, they're doing sermon series uh, during the summer uh, where they exegete movies instead of uh, the Bible. So in this particular case, it was Toy Story 4 uh, was, was the, the movie uh, during his last Sunday sermon. So the, the service starts after the worship set with him and his wife, uh, Stacy, walking out dressed as Woody and Bo Peep, right? And there's, there's uh, Toy Story music playing behind them and... Andy looks very uncomfortable and sheepish and his wife kind of pats him on the shoulder and says, well, thank you for being good sport about this. Um, his wife who also says that she's a pastor. Um, and you, and then you, you look at his sermon and it's, it, it reads like a, like, is this a joke? Uh, he's, he's pulling lines from this movie, Toy Story 4, and making these general points about how much God loves you and cares about you and, and, and so forth. And then if you contrast that with Marcus Schrader, who's, who's going to, you know, being arrested, put in handcuffs because He's not backing down from a single jot or tittle of the Christian faith. Um, you, you see two very different forms of Christianity. You see one that's that's effeminate and soft, um, that that is all things to all people to the point of absurdity, uh, to the point of dressing like a cartoon character and going on a stage uh, with your wife like that uh, because you're so afraid of, of offending people and, and you're desperate to keep them entertained. Um, and then you see a Christianity that is that is. Uh, that embraces adversity, that wants to slay dragons in the land, um, which is appealing to men, I think, especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I think you can look at someone like Andy Wood and, and, and clearly see why men in the Christian church are so disengaged, uh, broadly speaking, in the United States. Is who wants to follow a guy who's going to dress like Woody on a Sunday morning instead of instead of just speaking the truth plainly and, and being somebody to emulate? Uh, pastors all pastors are, after all, uh, exhorted multiple times in Scripture to be examples to the flock. Um, so that was the contrast I set up in the article, uh, just speaking about which kind of Christianity are we going to go, um, judging those two forms of Christianity by their fruit, uh, what kind of men they produce, and which one is going to bring us into the future. Yeah, it does, it does strike me with this. Uh, I did see the Andy Wood clip as well. I didn't I didn't hear the sermon. I just saw the, the intro, or maybe you said it was the outro with his, which is, with his wife. And, you know, it's, it's not only um, feminine and, like, uh, kitschy. But it's also evidently childish that they have to, you know, wrap the the presentation in a Pixar movie. I mean, you know, query the, the uh, how problematic it is now to be even <laughs> promoting Disney movies um, at this point to 
uh, to your congregation, uh, considering what that you know organization stands for. But you know, they they think they need some sort of gimmick. Um, I didn't know that this was actually that this was a sort of trend with mega churches during the summer. Um, I had oh yeah, other, I did see the Star Wars one. I guess there was a Star Wars church. Um, you know, it's it's very yes. it's very. So I actually, I actually grew up in a church that did this every summer. Oh wow! Um, okay. I, I, yeah, so every summer it was you know three or four movies uh, during the month of July or August. Um, let's see, we we did Man, Man of Steel, we did The Force Awakens, which should never be shown to any sense of human being, let alone during a church <laughs> service. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean the whole the whole we were told every weekend, you know, before the next service, bring your friends. This is what's going to win them over to the Christian church. This is what is, is going to, you know, bring them into Christianity. And, and it's, it was laughable. Sorry to interrupt. No, you. no, ahead. that's, that's good. So yeah, I was unaware of this trend. I didn't, didn't grow up in a, a mega church or a church big enough to put on these sorts of productions, or I guess they would want to, but um, this is, I mean, is this trend, is it totally driven by, um, you know, sort sort of comp- competition between the mega churches. So Saddleback does this, or Elevation does this, or something. Then everyone else falls in line. Or is this, you know, is this purely just seeker sensitive type strategies that have gone run amok and uh, got, you know, <laughs> towards sort of to ridiculous proportions? Yeah, I, I think it's the seeker the seeker sensitivity. Um, you know, like I said, even even to the point of absurdity, abusing that First Corinthians nine text where Paul says that he's trying to be all things to all people. Uh, which which does have a legitimate application, sure. but it does not mean a pastor uh, putting on a Toy Story costume on a Sunday morning or uh, forsaking the ordinary uh, means of worship on a Sunday morning in order to watch a movie. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it is a secret sensitivity more than the competition. I think the idea is, has obviously spread within these megachurch circles and has become comfortable. Well, look, you know, because there are certain megachurches that set the trend. There, right. You know, people would watch what what Rick Warren did. And then they would try to emulate it because we'll look at how big his church is. Look at how many people they're attracting for the Lord Jesus. Um, so there's there's both elements at play, but I think it's mostly the secret sensitivity. Yeah, and it does. You know, I haven't heard the the woods um, at, at Saddleback or anything comment on any of this, but of course, um, you know, there's there's lots of of concern and concern commentary, as I call it, is the general tone and posture of, of these. But it's not it's not illegitimate, of course, to have concern about young men um, following certain influencers right online. And that's where they're getting their inspiration and sort of life advice. And, um, uh, you know, essentially a a form of of discipleship, Um, certainly things to be concerned about there. You know, if it's Andrew Tate, who I don't really follow, but I understand, you know, pretty, pretty objectionable guy. Um, But it's and then, of course, they're lamenting, you know, men men doing this and developing, um, you know, sort of toxic attitudes or whatever it's whatever they want to frame it as. Um, but when you look at, as you were saying, you know, the alternative um, being the the church or one alternative and the, you know, the masculine role model, by definition, the pastor um, standing up there is, is dressed like a cartoon character and, you know, soft peddling his own message from the, the, you know, you have the script, you have the, the, scripture yourself and you're looking at the script and he's he's sort of softening it and skipping lines and doing this and that that would be very disorienting and uh, disheartening and it's certainly nothing to emulate or that makes you feel um you know masculine in any way or uh, confident in any way and so uh you know there's no wonder that the that men have have left churches like this and um are disinterested in in other churches, because now that's their their sort of model they have in their head is the picture that they carry around 
Um, but then those would be the same types of people, the same class of people that would um, be very shocked and bewildered by the fact that, you know, young men are now um, listening to Andrew Tate or something. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, one of the most striking experiences I, I still remember from this to this day growing up in a mega church is during the worship set, no, no man would sing. It, it would just be the, the ladies who were singing and, and were enjoying themselves and the men, you know, many would make excuses to show up late into the, into the service just because of how, you know, does anybody really want to sing along with a, a man who is dressed in skinny jeans and has like four buttons unbuttoned on, on the shirt? I don't think so. Right. Um, and I, I think there's no surprise that men are being driven from the church for reasons like this. And, you know, that's, that's just the start of it. Of course, the messages themselves are, are soft. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like the, people are going to to secularized versions of masculinity, whether it's Andrew Tate, whether it's Jordan Peterson or Joe Rogan, whatever the case may be. Um, and I, I think the only way to escape that is to actually have Christianity with with chest hair and with teeth, mm -hmm. um, sort of like the you know the the kind that Marcus was presumably you know bathed in his entire life was forged in. Mm -hmm. um, a Christianity that actually teaches one to be a man and to embrace your strength to protect others and to um, you know, slay dragons to advance the gospel, um, presenting those compelling images to man. Uh, I'm always struck by the, the soldier language in the Bible, uh, like Second Timothy 3 and 4, talking mm -hmm. about uh, us being soldiers of Christ Jesus. I think there's a certain sense in which that really does appeal to a man who wants a, a general or a captain to follow. Mm -hmm. um, and even thinking about my own Christian life, uh, I've, been most, I've blessed, been blessed by my own father, of course, but um, also more recently, just men in my church who are willing to take me aside and, and just, you know, read a Puritan pair back with me and discuss it or something to that effect. Um, not men who are, you know, influence peddlers or they, they have a podcast, but just Christian men who have wives and children and, and jobs and, and desire to pour into the next generation. I think that's the sort of thing that we need to see. Yeah. Sort of, you know, Christian martial virtue, um, which, which is required out of, out of men to um, certainly the pastors to defend the flock. And so if you look at the schedule, it looks like, you know, Sheriff Woody on the stage doesn't seem like he's, um, you know, going to be uh, defending any anybody from anything. Um, and I think, you know, ironically in that, um, and maybe this wasn't lost on them, isn't isn't in the movie Bo Peep has a, a shepherd's crook, right? I think that's Which right. Which is very yeah. funny because, of course, she's the one up there. <laughs> okay. uh, anyway, the irony about... Um, <laughs> So, yeah, they, I mean, this is this is all very, very concerning um, as well. And, um, you know, I think men, but I think men, um, young men especially are, uh, you know, you see the, the stats and the trends, not just about them being uh, more and more conservative, but kind of their their outlook on on life, the jobs they're taking, the things that are valued by uh, the young, younger generations um, in comparison to the boomers. And there's there's reason to hope, but it's certainly um, going to be people. Um, like like Marcus or you know pastors like Vody that they're that they're looking to and that we should point to rather than um, you know some of these influence peddlers which megachurch pastors are their own form of influence peddlers um, so they, they have no justification to look down on the uh, those that, that they find uh, you know their methods a little more a little more problematic they're in the same game really um, and people are just tired of that and I think I was listening to a podcast with John Asconis uh, the other day which he was saying you know as it's actually going to be a benefit of um, increased online communication and, and even disinformation through AI and deepfakes and things where people are just going to become more and more frustrated and disinterested in um, really the bread and butter of influencers. And they're going to go and, you know, in-person, real-life interactions 
and um, you know, real sort of um, we could we could add you know masculine messages that are true um, and that are connected to reality are going to become actually more appealing. They're going to become more valuable um, because they're going to become uh, more scarce in an increasingly online world. So you know, the fact that the influencers um, uh, you know, time may be running short is a, is a good thing, but of course it can do a lot of damage in the, in the meantime. Um, and I think the best approach to things like this is just pure mockery and then to hold up, uh, yeah. better examples <laughs> of, of men that are, um, you know, again, being, being offensive for the sake of the gospel and uh, not ashamed of it. Right. And it's, it's worth noting that men like Andy Wood, men like, uh, Rick Warren and, um, J.D. Greer, David French, those types, they would look down on, on a Marcus. They would say he's not being winsome. He's, right. he's, mis he's, you know, he's, he's being too offensive, too, um, too in your face about it. But, you know, it, it just shows they, they know that's the threat. Mm -hmm. They know that the Marcuses of the world are the threat to, to their dominion and power over American Christianity. Um, so we need more Marcuses. Yeah, that's right. I think that's a good note to end on. I just want to encourage everybody to read Ben's new piece with American Reformer called Which Way Christian Man? Um, and also to check out the Sentinel and his reporting there. I assume you're going to keep uh, following the story for us. Yep, we'll continue to develop the story. They're, they're heading to court and they're going to be taking legal action against uh, the police and so forth. So we'll have people updated on that. And that's RepublicSentinel.com. Okay, very good. Very good. Well, Ben, thanks for, for coming on and telling us about um, this story and discussing uh, all manner of things with me. Um, I'm Timon Klein, uh, signing off for uh, the American Reformer podcast. Please keep uh, following us um, at AmericanReformer.org and um, also on Twitter and um, look for further podcasts and commentary in the future. Thank you for listening to the American Reformer podcast. Make sure to visit us online at AmericanReformer.org. That's AmericanReformer.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter at AMReformer. <laughs>